You are listening to the Glen Abbey Podcast. My name is Chris Cook, and in today's conversation, I'll be talking with Michael Holmes, Diane Davidson, and William Morgan about Hope 365, one of Glen Abbey's missions partners. Welcome to episode three of the Glen Abbey Podcast. I am joined today by Diane Davidson by Michael Holmes and by William Morgan. And you may be wondering, what is the common denominator between the people in this room? And it may be that you think that it's shiny heads, but there is one that is uh, that is left out of that, Diane, of course. So um, the common denominator, of course, actually is, is Hope365, one of Glen Abbey's mission partners. And we're going to hear more from these three people on that topic today. But before we begin that, uh, I ask a question at the beginning of each of these podcasts just to get us started uh, into the conversation. So I'm going to ask each of you in turn to tell me either a book, uh, a film, a podcast that you have maybe enjoyed recently, or if you can't think of any of those things, I give people the option of a Google search that's been made <laughs> recently as well. Michael, why don't we start with you on that one? What have you got for okay. me there? I was actually I was listening to a podcast last night. By it's actually in the Biologos um, website. I don't know if you're familiar with that, um, but it's a girl called Leslie uh, Wakeman, I think her name was. Um, but interesting character involved in the space, the Hubble telescope and stuff like that, and this whole thing. I think Francis Collins, whose name maybe would be familiar to a lot of people, wrote a, a book called Language of God. And that sort of opened up a whole load of things for me, just that I really enjoy listening to that whole thing between faith and science as a fascinating thing, just to get a picture of how great and amazing God is. Brilliant. I am always looking for new podcasts. So remind me of the name of that one again. Biologos. Biologos. Very okay. controversial in some ways and some things. Some okay. really tuned in people, some complete airheads, but all very intelligent. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Diane, what about you? Well, I'm going from highbrow to lowbrow, obviously. Okay. Yes, yeah. um, but And also slightly off in that it's a TV rather than book or film. Okay. But something I'm really enjoying at the moment is actually The Great Pottery Throwdown. I love watching that because obviously I spent most of my day sitting behind a desk thinking. Yes. And involves very little practical creativity. So I just love being able to watch people who have skills that I just can't even begin to imagine having. So I love it. It's just this piece of clay and then they make this incredible, beautiful thing. And there's a girl from Northern Ireland who's on at the minute and she's brilliant. And I think she's going to maybe be the winner. So I don't know yet. I haven't watched to the end, but I'm really enjoying watching it. Another good recommendation there then, that idea of of us all being made in the image of God and creators and so on. So yeah, fantastic. (laughs) Willie, what about you? I read a book in the last two weeks, which is quite <laughs> something. Hey. I don't read a lot of books. That is but, something. Yeah. But I read the book The Electrician's Children, written by David Wilson. Uh, now, you should tell us if some people don't know who David Wilson is. Hey, David Wilson, is. David and his wife Pam are one of our missions families here in Glen Abbey. And David works with... Uh, uh, Agape. Agape in Dublin. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. it. It talked about David's whole life as a missionary, the various ministries that he's been involved in and relevant to today, just the different countries that he's been in. I, I didn't realise that he had served in so many countries. That was a fascinating read. I would recommend that to anyone to pick it up and read it. The Electrician's Children by David Wilson. We'll need to get a few of those in, actually, mm-hmm. because that is a really interesting one. The electrician mm-hmm. that he's talking about, of course, his dad, his dad. was one of the, the, the first elders of Glen Abbey, Joe. Um, so that there's a lot of there's a lot of strong connections. I remember them well whenever I was very, much much smaller. Uh, so that's fantastic, brilliant, lovely to hear some of those things uh, and and add to the recommendation list that, that's out there already. <laughs> now let's let's then focus on the topic of our conversation today. Let's focus in on on Hope Three Six Five. Uh, and Michael, I'm going to begin with you because these stories sort of overlap and interweave, of course. And maybe just tell us a little bit about your own personal story and how it has led you to the place you are now in terms of looking after and leading up uh, Hope 365. Okay, it's a long and winding road there, but I'll try and keep it as, as quick as I can. Um, well, I mean, I married the Jane, first of all, and with two boys, Luke and Jack. One's a coder, one's a drummer. Um, and I suppose for, for my journey, I have didn't grow up as a Christian, became a Christian at art college, of all places, which is a bit unusual. Um, but in many ways, that did sort of influence and shape me. Um, I had no time for church or anything to do with it. So whenever I did become a Christian, I suppose I was quite passionate and actually trying to communicate, you know, this incredible life-changing event. Um, so 
as I say, when I became a Christian, came along to Dun Abbey, um, I suppose it must be over 25 years ago now. Uh, the fact that it is over, it was just at the very beginning of this, whenever the church moved onto this site. Right, okay. Um, and I remember Luke, my eldest boy, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> it's all yeah. centuries ago, yeah. But I remember uh, Luke, he was only you know two at the time, lying sleeping on the floor whenever Gilbert was speaking. No reflection on Gilbert speaking. <laughs> um, but no, I really enjoyed when uh, Dun Abbey actually was a, a tremendous move for me. Um, I just benefited so much from from the teaching and the whole environment of the place. And um, fast forwarding on, then I um, I worked in the gra- as a graphic designer. So I was over in a company called Citygate over in Hollywood and County Down, and really enjoyed my work. To be honest with you, um, uh, but whenever I hit around about forty, um, it was one of those times where I just really got uh, challenged by um, verses from the Bible. It was really the storing up your treasures in heaven or treasures in earth. And despite the fact that I was really enjoying uh, the work that I was doing, I was starting to get a little bit conflicted because some of the clients that we worked with. Um, were things that I wouldn't really have stood over, you know, sort of promoting things like alcohol pops and things like that, and the things that I really didn't agree with. So over us was a period of about a year or so, it became clear to me that there was this big crossroads coming up, and I could either keep on with my nice comfy job, my nice company car and all the rest of it, <clears throat> or I could just take a big step away from that. Um, so God made it very clear, um, and this doesn't happen very often in my life, but there are times when God really does intervene and really does speak very, very clearly and distinctly. And that was uh, the challenge of those verses. And I then just took a step away from paid employment, came along to Glen Abbey sort of staff team, helped them just on a voluntary basis, trying to work with the communications, because at the end of the day, this was the most important message of all so why was I sort of squeezing that into the evenings and weekends um, I loved that I really enjoyed the time uh, with Dan Abbey as time went on I served on the eldership team for a few years as part of that too that was an interesting experience too give me Those a good insight experiences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying more other than the interesting experience no but it was a very worthwhile very challenging and very insightful thing just to have been part of that um, which was great and that, um, I suppose it must have been, I actually don't know how many years, maybe four or five years um, on the staff team, maybe more than that. I'm not very good at judging time. Um, but very interestingly, uh, that time was coming to an end, although I didn't realise it at the time. We went off to a conference uh, over in Bangor, actually, and it was uh, Richard Curtis. It was a DVD conference back in those days. So it was one of these things that was done through Willow Creek Church and Bill Hybels oh, and so on. And uh, Richard Curtis was talking about on the difference of making uh, films like Four Weddings and a Funeral compared to the little ones that you find on Comic Relief, which, of course, he's one of the founder members of Comic Relief. And he said a thing that really struck me. It was a really interesting session. Uh, but he said uh, that he had been really surprised that churches didn't take more to do um, with sort of alleviating poverty around the world. And it really just sort of was like a big arrow through my heart for some reason. I'm not sure actually I agree with it, um, but it's for whatever reason, it really struck a chord. So the reason I say that was that conference that day, I felt really was a turning point again for me because um, I felt I was aware of a charity called Kids Alive um, at the time, a very small charity. And there were some people in Glen Abbey sort of loosely associated um, with that charity. And I just felt I this is the right thing for me now to try and do the same thing you know, to go alongside them just on a voluntary basis to try and help them with their communications, their, uh, you know, just communicating the needs for the charity. So I started in that and was there for a number of years. In the middle of all of that, that uh, we rebranded actually as Stand By Me. So the very first, first Stand yeah. By Me event was uh, actually, it was an event called Stand By Me in Glen Abbey with Al Bennett. Uh, and myself were putting that together. Um, did that for, I think, between four and five years. And then that really introduced me to poverty in Ethiopia and working with vulnerable kids. And I knew then that that was the thing for me. It was very much the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, was the way I would put it, is what I was passionate about. And the path from that has just led on, seeing the poverty in Ethiopia, being involved in, a, in another project actually over in the, Shash, the town of Shashamani and encountering street kids on the street one night at one o'clock in the morning. Um, the local government had, had told me the biggest way that you can help us is by doing something to help street kids because nobody is helping the street kids. 
there are other NGOs, other organisations helping in schools and different things, but nobody's working with the street kids. So literally we came back and um, opened up a wee shop in Ballyterra, a wee small one on the square, and that was the start really of where did the, the work. Where did the thinking from that come from, that this would be, so that a shop the would shop, work? Well, that's a, very, that's a very good point actually as well, because through all of this long winding journey that I'm talking about, <clears throat> whenever we built, whenever I was with Stand By Me, <clears throat> excuse me, we actually built a little roof-based conversion and my DIY skills are not very good, let me <laughs> tell you, but me and my brother uh, and Jane put our best efforts into doing a wee roof-based conversion for the Stand By Me, what was going to be the Stand By Me office. And that was fine, um, but it was the fact that uh, my wife decided to fall from that onto the floor, onto a concrete floor while decorating while I wasn't in the house. And she sustained um, you know, very significant brain injuries and that was a whole life-changing thing for her. Um, so through that whole period, then it's been a long recovery period. Um, and as part of that, she was um, volunteering in a charity shop and learnt how to sort clothes, sort break a bag, do all of those things. I know nothing about <laughs> charity shops. I still know nothing about <laughs> charity shops. Uh, but she learnt all of that stuff. And that's really, to be honest with you, and I mean, I really should say in all of this, this is very much a journey of the both of us because I couldn't have been doing this. You know, she looked after so many of the financial aspects of things and I was putting her head away with <laughs> the things that I was doing but right there beside me all the time but without that expertise we couldn't have opened up the charity shop you yeah. know and that gave us the initial uh, funds to start the project and that's where it all came from so a long winding journey. And how long ago was that then the first shop? It's eight, eight years ago eight years yes, so yes. it's been unbelievable what has happened. A little bit more than, than mm -hmm. one shop now? Yes <laughs> I will have two shops in Ballyclare we've another one up in the junction and actually Although it's not actually signed yet, we've almost agreed on another shop in Larne. So that'll be oh, hot off the presses news to everyone. Right, but okay. as I say, it's not signed yet, so maybe it'll <laughs> okay. fall apart okay. and they'll go back in this. <laughs> we have to edit this out. Well, <laughs> listen, we'll come back and we'll hear a little bit more about that uh, in, in due course across the conversation in terms of more of what goes on. But probably a good time to introduce Diane into the conversation um, as we talk about the shops and as we talk about um, uh, your involvement as well, Diane. So sure. uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. You're also, uh, as everybody, around the table is today a member of Glen Abbey and also yeah. involved in Hope so yeah. tell us Matt, about you know how long you've been around Glen Abbey uh, sure. what you're involved in there and then your involvement in Hope as well sure no problem um, well um, my name's Diane I'm married to Jonathan and we have three kids Toby, Nat and Evie Toby and Nat are both at Queen's in uh, third year and second year and Evie is in upper sixth in Ballymena Academy um, and we've been coming since about 2016 so my coming to Glen Abbey is very much tied into um, being involved with Hope 365. Right. <laughs> it's all sort of interlinked. So, um, but sort of just going back a wee bit before that, if you don't mind, uh -huh. um, I trained um, as an accountant. I made the decision at 17 after attending one careers fair and speaking to a nice lady in a nice suit <laughs> that I would like to be an accountant because you carried a briefcase and wore a suit. Okay. So that was the huge amount of thought I put into my career <laughs> okay. choice. I never regretted so it ever never since. never regretted it at all. <laughs> so, um, yes, I went into accounts um, and studied it at university, had a wee bit of a blip and thought, I don't know that maybe this is what I want to do, but went on ahead with it. Um, but as I was working, actually quite similar to Michael, sort of thought, the longer I went on, I sort of thought, I don't really know that A, I particularly enjoy this. There are bits of it that are quite boring. And B, I don't really know if I want to spend the rest of my life making sure the rich people get a wee bit richer. Okay. So I started to struggle with that a wee bit as well. Um, and I then also... Jonathan and I had been married a few years and we were hoping to start a family. And then when Toby came along, we decided that no, I would stop work. So that was good. And then we had the, the other kids. And at that stage then I sort of thought, right, well, what does God really want me to do? So um, I had always been very interested in psychology and counselling and had done some pastoral care courses and different and thought this was a much more noble thing to be pursuing in accountancy. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I thought that's where God was leading me to go. So um, I wanted to go back to do a psychology degree and um, I went back and did a psychology A-level because Queen's had asked to prove that I could still think. And so I did that and Belfast met for a year when Evie was about two and got a place, got an offer in Queen's and was really excited and thought, this is great. I'm now doing the spiritual thing. 
Um, and then Queen said, I just um, hadn't realised that actually in order to get funding, you couldn't have already had a primary degree. So we just couldn't afford to do that, unfortunately, with me having stopped working. So I do remember getting that phone call saying that, no, I wouldn't be able to get funding and that, no, I wouldn't be able to do the course. And I just remember sitting in the city crying, thinking, why God? You know, I'm giving things up. I'm trying to do the right thing that I think, the spiritual thing that I think you want me to do. And it didn't seem to go anywhere. So it was around about that time that the previous church I was going to, some people I knew there were wanting to start a little organisation and they asked me, could I help with the finance and stuff? And again, I sort of thought, well, I really want to move away from accounts, um, but okay, I'll do this as a wee temporary thing. So that temporary thing ended up being nine years. Right. Um, it ended up being a part-time job. And um, in 2013, through that, I ended up minding someone called Michael Holmes <laughs> because he came and joined the organisation. So um, through all that... We then, as Michael was saying, we saw the need for the street kids and we felt very much that God was saying that this was a project that needed to be started. So I helped Michael and Jane. Obviously, we sort of got the um, organisation set up. We all got it properly constituted and set up with HMRC and with the Charities Commission and all those sort of things. So that was my exciting contribution. And again, I feel this was God saying that... um, know the skills you have actually you may not think that they're particularly spiritual or particularly useful but in actual fact these are the ones I want you to use so I'm incredibly grateful that God has shown me that you know there's nothing that God cannot use and even accountancy yeah even Even. accountancy it's hard to believe it's hard to believe you know and I'm actually starting to realize actually deep down to do quite like it (laughs) so (laughs) it's maybe not always as boring as you think but um through that then Hope 365 was born and um I'm I can genuinely consider one of the biggest privileges of my life being involved you know it's something that I love doing and um, I'm just really grateful to be a part of it. And again, it's, the wee verse that sort of struck me the whole way through was sort of Luke 12, 48, and that those that much have been given, much will be required. So um, I just feel that this is me trying to give my small little mustard seed, but it's genuinely humbling to see what God can grow out of it, you know. So it's it's brilliant. It's the roller coaster, yeah, but yeah. yeah. There would never have been it's, a Hope 365 if, no. if Diane hadn't have offered. She said that to me on the phone. She said, look, if you're if you're going to start something like this up, I, I'll definitely help you. I would not have gone into something like this without an accountant, let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so there wouldn't be a Hope 365 without a, a Diane. So she always underplays her part. <laughs> yes. So uh, your role now is it very much is it still it's in still, around that sort of area? It's still very finance financing. based, yeah. yes, and admin. I sort of do the finance and admin for it, but I do actually quite love it. I know which, <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's good. You know, sometimes you have to embrace the nerd. You know, so <laughs> I do, I do, I do quite like it. So. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Speaking of nerds, will you? <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Now, tell us a little bit more about you, and obviously uh, you don't work for Hope Three Six Five, but nope. you are involved in volunteering. You're also a member of Glen Abbey, and, and and you also have a specific role in missions. So maybe tell us a little I bit do. about about yourself. So married to Sharon, with three children: Jonathan, Emily, and Simon, uh, and a granddaughter, Zara, who's eight months old. Not hard to find an excuse. To I was sitting with her <laughs> Sarah Sunday morning. Uh, I, I worked in a family business for over 30 years. Uh, we were in the transport and storage business. We, we moved people all over the world. We moved businesses all over the city. Uh, so I've always had an interest in logistics and and moving things, which has come in very handy. <laughs> <It's been laughs> yeah. <as> <laughs> uh, at Glen Abbey, I'm a home group leader, and uh, I'm involved in the missions team, Chris, as you said. Uh, and Hope, I, I do a few different things. I, I just come in at a time when I didn't have a lot of activity uh, and I just came in and went out on the van drove the van delivered furniture collected furniture I've done a fair bit of that since but the body's sort of saying you know you maybe should be okay. doing a wee bit less of this at your age <laughs> now you're 25 or, uh, <laughs> 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 I've just got a list of dates actually that needs to go the next month uh, we have a what we call a development team in Hope where some of us sit and think about some of the operational and practical 
commercial aspects of the things that the charity faces to try and keep moving forward and keep developing so that we're producing finance that can support the various projects in Ethiopia. And I've also had a chance to go out there. I was there in uh, about October time, I think 2022, just to see what happens on the ground. I think that's a good thing uh, to, to, to see what's going on. And how on. was that? Fantastic. I, I, had been, I had been involved in a... Uh, well, related, I suppose, had a relationship with a charity uh, based in Port Glenone that worked with street children in Bogota. And I had been there in 2019 to see some projects that we'd been involved in. Uh, and the Ethiopian projects were slightly different. There were certainly a lot more children involved in the school aspect. But they were both the same in the sense that they were changing kids' lives. Folk who who were bothered to be there, who were bothered to be doing something, and actually by being bothered someone's life gets changed and you know hope is a good title for this charity because that's what is being given to those kids in Ethiopia so it was it was fantastic to go out there and I enjoyed Ethiopia too yeah. mad place but it was <laughs> crazy <laughs> lovely to see it brilliant brilliant and uh, Michael well he represents a, a much wider volunteer basis mm. a base would that be yeah. fair and, oh, and, and how important are they to, no, to I, what you do I had to laugh like you know I mean, William just sits there and says well, I just got a wee bit involved you know, he phoned <laughs> me up one day and just sort of said you know like I, I'm of a wee bit of time in my hands if you needed a wee bit of driving like I, <laughs> like he lives in the place now you know but the, the contributions have been unbelievable you know um, from him and there's so many people this is the thing Hope365 is all about Teamwork it genuinely is. Um, I have just, it's just been a blessing to be in the middle of something where God brings around so many really capable, gifted people in so many different ways. And um, what you mentioned earlier on about you know the more than the one shop. Whenever we moved from the wee shop in the square um, to the one down uh, that was Poundland in Ballyclare. I had no idea what we were doing really from the point of view of it. Just was this huge space in pretty messy condition and thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, so like we put the call out uh, through the church to get the, could people help us paint and clean and day and what an incredible, you know, response there was from the church, honestly, just afternoons, evenings, uh, you know, and the transformed that place in the space of a few weeks. And I thought that was brilliant and that was great, but then... Once we actually started to operate and we had the space at the back for donations coming in, I had no idea the amount of donations that were going to start to come in. And we got completely overwhelmed by a tsunami of donations, all these black bin, bin bags. So again, you had to put the call out and say, we can't get, we can't sort through all of these things. Brilliant problem to have. But again, home groups come to the rescue where we've got every six weeks, a lot of the home groups are coming down and helping us there. Plus we have a whole crowd of volunteers who come in during in the day from every walk of life um, and we've been able to you know employ one or two people as well which has been a real good thing too I just love the fact that you've got Christians and non-Christians you know completely different sorts of people all mingling together all ages you know you've got people coming in from school you've got people in their 80s coming in it's just brilliant but it is just it's like the body of Christ in action everybody doing their wee bit they're all good at different things and you put it all together and it just flies and I just sit back and think how on earth does this happen <laughs> it's incredible fantastic fantastic now you William you mentioned about the fact that you were there did you say 20 2022 2022 yeah. uh, but Michael and Dan, you're literally just back, isn't that right? So you, right. was that uh, just a, a week or so ago? You were a week, a week and a half ago. You were there. Yep. So this is great That's time and to talk about about being away, about what you've seen, about um, telling us a couple of stories about that, Diane, especially from your perspective. Maybe obviously Michael's been. How many times have you I been, Michael? Probably 20 Lost plus, I would imagine that I can remember. So it'd be lovely to hear uh, lovely to hear some of those stories. So, Diane, sure. uh, from your perspective, uh, yeah. is this something you were, you'd wanted to do for a long time, you were really looking forward to, or were you apprehensive about this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little well, bit about that. a story. And, yeah. <laughs> well, that is actually a big that. part of my story, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I was out in Shashmane about 16 years ago with the previous organisation I used to work for. So I had been out before... But obviously I hadn't um, been out with these new projects and obviously there's the staff that I email and speak to and you do yeah. desperately want to meet them. But um, you were saying there about being anxious about it um, and this is one of the things I just wanted to sort of highlight. Um, I Anxiety is something I have struggled with my whole life. It's just something that has always been an issue and God has been very good the whole way through my life. Um, 
helping me to overcome that and to learn to trust and stuff. But um, at different stages, it peaks and troughs. And um, I knew I had to go out and do this, but it's just um, just with a variety of different things, with issues at home and stuff, I, I just sort of thought... I'm actually quite anxious about going that far away and it's uh, there's a number of things. So even before some things happened, I was quite anxious about going away. And then the devil knows. The <laughs> devil knows what your weaknesses are. So, so most of the things were imagined and not very sensible anxieties. But then the devil thought, what I'm going to do is create some real anxiety for her. <laughs> so um, as we were getting closer, the number of things, genuinely it was unbelievable, the number of things that happened um, that were really, really causing me cause for concern, um, like doors blowing off airplanes and various things like this. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, and then I made the mistake of signing up for the Foreign Office travel advice. And literally the day before we left, I got two saying that it was inadvisable to travel to Ethiopia. <laughs> and Shashmane was specifically mentioned right? in okay. the government the advance. List. Yes. Okay. Then a month before we left, um, our staff out there said, look, the route that you normally take down after you come off the plane in Addis, we, there's a route that we drive down. It's about four or five hour drive. And I've done it before. Um, but we're advising you not to do that because they're taken to kidnapping people. <laughs> so can you please take the train? Or not the, the train, train, the plane, <laughs> not the train, the plane. <laughs> okay. So again, these were becoming more real. And as I say, literally a week before, I was speaking to John, it was a Sunday evening and I was going into work the next day and I was really quite anxious. And John and I were sitting and I said, I really, really... I'm going to have to speak to Michael tomorrow. I don't actually think I can go through with this. I'm going to pay back all the money that the charity has spent on my flights. I'm not going. Um, and I was sitting doing a Bible reading and it was Psalm 121. And um, I turned around to John and I said, you're not going to believe what my reading is. And I read it out to him and he goes, well, I think that's pretty clear, isn't it? <laughs> so um, basically, it's it's just God specifically states that no harm will come to you. It's a very short psalm. But, and I thought, and Jonathan was very clear that you will be okay. So I thought, right, okay. And I went into work on Monday and I said to Michael, I'm still not going. <laughs> and and, and um, Michael was talking to me and please don't take it the wrong way, but it was absolutely nothing Michael said. <laughs> he was reassuring me, but I just, I got this real sense and it, it, and I know it sounds really silly, but I got this real sense of God speaking to me saying, you know what, you're at actually a wee crossroads here. You can actually listen to me and what I said to you last night, or you can choose to completely ignore me. And I just really got a sense that in recent years I had sort of been ignoring him or not really thinking I could trust him. And to be honest, there was nothing concrete that said this will definitely be safe in terms of the world. There was absolutely, in fact, as I say, later on in the week, I still kept getting foreign office advice not to travel. But I just, and it, I honestly can't describe it, but I literally went from a place of genuine real fear and I cannot do this to a place, place of complete calm. And I, I can honestly say it was just God's grace. You know, it was nothing to do with me or no real change in circumstances. And that stayed the whole way through the trip, you know. And there were a couple of things that we were in that had the potential to become dangerous. They didn't, but there were times that things were a little sketchy. And the whole way through the week, I just had this real sense that this will be okay. God has made that promise and he was good and it was the case. And I'm really, really grateful for that, you know, because it was very much a sense of God speaking directly to me and saying, you have to do this. And, um, it has really been, and I do genuinely think the devil was A, trying to undermine my faith and B, trying to undermine my small contribution to Hope 365. It's not that I, I contribute very much, but, you know, the, the bit that, you know, I, I think he will try to stop everything, you know, and I'm very grateful that God was gracious enough to let me see that that he spoke into that situation. So that's the first sort of point that I wanted to make okay. about the trip, just that it was very helpful for that. And then the second thing I just wanted to mention was just about the trip itself, just yeah. the entire blessing of it in that the people we got to meet, 
you know, our country director, YSO, is the most incredible human being I have ever met. His faith is astounding. You know, if you ever get the chance to meet YSO, take it. And a young guy. He's incredible. He has the faith that would just encourage anyone. And everything you say to him is responses, praise God. And he is sincere and he faces real challenges every single day and he trusts God for everything. And I find that really humbling and really encouraging and really inspiring. So I had a fantastic time. (laughs) The devil tried to destroy that, you know, but I had a fantastic time. And I think it was a real privilege to be there and... um, and as I say, I, I I just think it is amazing. I keep referring back to this, but it never ceases to astound me when we give God a very, very small portion, what he can achieve, you know. And I, I genuinely think it's just remarkable being a part of that whole process. Brilliant. I appreciate Tell that, Dan, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, your openness there and honesty about that. Michael, tell us a little bit then uh, about your perspective on the trip. What was this one all about? What what sort of things are go- and going on? And, and uh, I, maybe just tell us about the situation out there and yeah, what's happening. Yeah. I, <laughs> you need a very long podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you can imagine, Northern Ireland's got sort of loosely two sides, you know, and they've got about six sides over there um, who are all grappling for power and all feel that they, most of them actually want to have an independent country, you know, um, it's not religious based, it's um, ethnic based really, just sort of tribal things, different uh, ethnic backgrounds. So yeah, the, there's always, there's never a time when Ethiopia is at peace. You know, even in the news over the last few years, you'll have seen the north of the country has been in, in um, a war, you know, two years of a war, millions of people killed, a uh, complete mess and nothing has changed. Well, what a waste, it's awful. Um, down in the region where we are, there has been unrest at different times. It just pops up from time to time. So at the minute, they're just trying to, to kidnap either wealthy Ethiopians or any foreigners. So we had to strip off all our graphics off our vehicles and stuff like that so that they wouldn't recognise that as being um, international. But literally, whenever you're in Shashamani, we were literally the four, only four white people uh, and 250,000 people. Uh, and that's just the way it is all the time. So you do sort of stand out, yeah. <laughs> especially being six foot two and bald. So the people themselves are lovely, you know, genuinely warm, friendly people. It's just the same thing that's the world over. Everybody's looking for that wee bit of power to give them the edge over their neighbours, you know. Um, so it's a bit unstable, but it'll probably quieten down a bit uh, again. Uh, I, would, I would just sort of say about Wayasso, just picking up on something that, that Diane said. Wayasso, whenever we interviewed him, Stephen Hamill and myself were over interviewing him, uh, and this a number of years was actually for a job underneath what he has now. But the thing that always struck me and why we sort of employed him, we made a space for him, was when we asked him about the question, why had he applied for the job? He said, well, I have a 10-year-old brother. And he said, I can just picture my 10-year-old brother sleeping on the streets like those kids and it always stuck with me because that's his motivation he just cares so much for the kids you know um, which is amazing so that this whole team visit this time was about spending time with our staff and then also looking at different aspects of the project to see how we can improve and develop those. You know, we looked at the financial um, interactions between Ethiopia and here just to try and fine tune those things, which was worked really well, and the sponsorship program and things like that. So, quite a lot of time was spent in those sort of meetings, working out best ways to communicate with sponsors over here who maybe are sponsoring a child, how we can get that process improved, including video clips of children and things like that. But then one. Of the other um, things that was really, really important for us, and this was a, an absolute highlight for me of the trip. I've always felt since we opened the school, you know, we're two full years of the school done, and um, I've always felt we've got the guts of 400 children there, and they're coming from all sorts of backgrounds. You know, mainly you've got Islam and you have got Orthodox Christianity. And then you've got maybe about 15% of the kids coming from evangelical backgrounds. 
What an amazing opportunity, you know, to reach out to those kids. But yet, in the Ethiopian uh, curriculum, you're not allowed to teach any form of religion at all. So even Muslims can't do it, Christians can't do it. So everybody has to follow the same curriculum. But I've always desperately wanted to have some opportunity to impact the life of those kids. You know, it just seems like too good an opportunity. And we've been trying, trying different things to see how we could get this operational. And this time, it just was brilliant, you know. And we got a guy, uh, sort of a long story, but a contact that we have there. He sort of acts as like an informal consultant for us. Um, had a contact in Addis. He actually flew down specially to meet us. Um, they've got a number of churches um, all over Ethiopia, and a number of those churches have schools. Um, so I just... I'm astounded at the way God brings all of these things into being. So this guy flew down, met with another pastor who was a member of that group of churches, and basically they just said, yeah, look, we have done this in a number of other schools. There's seven of our churches have got schools associated with them, and we've developed a whole um, sort of program on a Friday afternoon after school, so it's legal to do this. Um, and what we do is then we teach them all the basic biblical principles and so on, but we also teach them how to deal with, you know, a Muslim child maybe who has come along and you've shared Christianity with them and they've gone home and talked to their parents and then the parents haven't been too happy and whatever and how to deal with them. So it's all of the things that were in my mind that I knew were going to be happening uh -huh. and just think, here's somebody who has been there, done it, you know, literally in Ethiopia and in fact in Shashimani. Um, so these guys were just... Like Dan would, would, would agree with us. You were sitting in the meeting and you just felt this real sense of this was just kingdom work. You know, they weren't looking for money from us. They weren't looking for anything. They were just loving the opportunity of sharing the gospel with kids. Um, we were another group that they could do this with and they could help. So they're going to come along, teach our teachers, and then they're going to come along themselves to, you know, to help get the thing going. And all of a sudden, one of the big issues and the big concerns that I had, you know, all these children and you're wanting to impact them, and God just brings a solution like that, Brilliant. you know. And that was at the very, very end of the week, you know. And you just saw it way hey. And at the very beginning of the week, the other highlight for me was going in on the Sunday we arrived on Sunday morning. We're knackered, went to bed, had a few hours sleep, and then went to the group homes. We've got three different group homes for orphan kids, so you're talking about thirty kids there, um, all street kids, all orphan kids, and they came and they started singing. Um, but it wasn't like a let's sing for the visitors type thing they really were worshiping God and that's oh honestly that would really get to you because you just see these we this these we guys who whose life was a complete mess like some of the stories I know really really well and to see them now standing wholeheartedly worshiping God not mouthing words wholeheartedly worshiping God and you just think oh you know it just doesn't get any better than this so it was really honestly really really amazing but I have to say uh, with all of those things in the middle of that, there was the downside, and the downside is just the inflation that's going on in Ethiopia at the minute is having a devastating effect. And even with some of the families that we are working with, um, there's a sort of a level. Most of our kids, if we reunite street kids with their family, most, if they've got a parent alive or whatever, it'll be, they'll be what's classified as daily labourers. So they're basically in cleaning or washing or something like that. What's happened with inflation now is the people one level above that can't afford those people anymore. So those jobs don't exist anymore. So those people have no income. We used to be able to give families about 75 kilo bag of flour with sort of about three litres of cooking oil with soap and with salt. We give this to them regularly. The same, now all we can do with the same amount of money, instead of all of those things combined, is give them one twenty-five kilo bag of flour and nothing else. That's the impact inflation. So it's run at 29% in the country. So that's a real big challenge for us. And to go and visit some people who we are helping, but who have had to move to poorer housing conditions since we were there a year or so ago, is a real sort of devastating thing to see. Because you're helping. But not to the same extent you were able no, to before. And it's really that's hard. hard. It's really hard whenever you see things going backwards like that. Now, there were some that don't want to get the wrong impression. There are some who have been able to keep going on, but they're still having to make do with a lot less provision. Um, so 
it's that you know that challenge in there between those two things seeing the incredible blessing of those kids being so stable you know and the opportunity for evangelism also fantastically positive but then the reality of where the rubber hits the road these kids need to eat their families need to eat and that's just it was really hard to watch to be honest with you you know it was a bit of a gut and that was a Wednesday was, afternoon I remember it was a, it was a real day. low it yeah. really was there mm-hmm. living just outside the city dump you know it's horrible it was an awful awful place it was yeah. it was horrible it really was well that probably leads us on to um, thinking about how the people listening if they don't know already how you can get involved in helping and uh, what you're doing maybe before maybe before we get to there but I, I was sort of thinking as I'm listening that some people you, you sort of you highlighted a school and you highlighted mm-hmm. the homes but maybe Aye. just it might be good for you for people who maybe aren't aware or forgotten potentially uh, what it, what is it that you have on the ground sure, sure. Meaning, you no, know fair point. a little summary of that maybe yeah, sure no fair point it's I mean the initial project that we opened up um, was basically a, an, an assessment centre it's somewhere where we've got social workers psychologists caring staff and it'll take sort of 20-30 children in at a time um, so we have to these are rented facilities all our facilities are rented um, we've got a staff team in that part of about 13 who look after these kids um, the staff they'll stay for two or three months with us we find out why the kids are on the streets it's all done in conjunction with the government and the police and everything we don't just scoop kids off for obvious reasons um, so what we do then is if they have any relative that's uh, alive and in the area that we can reunite them with we do that because there's lots of different reasons why kids go onto the street it can be poverty it can be dysfunctional families it can be you know all sorts of uh, tensions caused by religious issues with marriages breaking down and things um, um, so if a child can be reunified, the government wants us to reunify and we want to do that and then we link those children up with sponsors here. So that's one part of the problem. If they're orphan kids, and for people who have heard me, they've often heard me talk about Debiso as being the very first child. He's a typical child who um, doesn't have anybody to, re- we can't reunite him. So what we have then are three group homes, each of 10 children, and they grow up with a nanny who's a Christian. So they grow up essentially, we try to recreate that family environment so the first thing is the assessment centre for two or three months either reunite the children back to the community to their families or else if there's no family bring them into the group homes but the brilliant all of those things are for boys because there are no girls in the street and the real blessing for me and this happened in the middle of covid which was amazing um really did feel God having time to go into how but God opening up this opportunity for us to have a school and the brilliant thing about this school is this is for the poorest the most vulnerable kids our street kids go there uh, and other vulnerable kids but we can bring girls here because Vulnerable girls from the, from the poorest families, what happens to them is those kids don't get a chance to go anywhere near school. Uh, they go out and they'll wash cups, they'll brush floors just to get a meal. They don't get paid. And I'm talking about seven or eight years of age here. I'm not talking about teenagers. And then what happens is those girls grow up and approach teenage years and then leave themselves wide open for abuse. And then there's a massive problem of teenage pregnancies in Shashamani. So for us to be able to have a school that those girls can go to, and as well as getting the education, they actually get both breakfast and dinner in there. So that takes care of all of that. So whenever you put all of those things together, uh, we also have another component of what we call income generation. So that is if we reunite children to a family, as well as providing them with some of that food will help them give them the opportunity of loans like microfinance loans where they can maybe you know breed goats or they can breed chickens or they can grow vegetables and sell them at the stall and again to see just there we were there last week to see some of them there's one lady had Fourfold, times four, you know, the loan that you've got. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Just fantastic. A whole big thing of chickens and mm-hmm. just so appreciative and so thankful, mm-hmm. you know. So it's brilliant to see that. So that's the overall sort of. That's it. That, no, that's great. Project. That, uh, that yeah. even helps me. And I've been listening to this conference. And that's how, and it just, uh, as you talk about it there, it makes me realize the 
the scope, scope of the project. I know it's, it's massive. It's, it's, it's really big. Yeah. Um, can, can I just well, one, one thing? Go, I just wanted go. the ad that I haven't added uh-huh. because it's massively significant. I mentioned that we boy to be show as the first wee child, and um, whenever I was over, we had a team over last summer. Uh, Sixteen of us were over, uh, but the be show was he didn't know his age. He didn't have a pair of shoes. I often bring the trousers that he was wearing. They're all ripped and show those so people will remember those maybe. But the thing that really got me last year when we were over in June was he came. He's now able to speak English. He's around about maybe 15-ish. We don't know, around about that. But he asked me, he says, Michael, can I read you the Bible in English? You know, and he, I said, yeah, yeah, let's go into this room and do it. So um, I actually had give him my wee English Bible and he started to read and he started to read that, you know, the, the passage in Matthew where I was hungry and you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink I needed clothes and you clothed me now, I, that's a passage that I use in so many churches whenever I'm out speaking but you see to hear a kid oh my goodness a kid who had received that speaking that I, I was written off like I totally I, <laughs> I really was you know and to see the transformation of that wee boy and like for this last four or five years he has had above his wall uh, Pastor Bulo because we asked them to put up what they want to be whenever they're an adult so this wee fellow is a wee lad who has come, actually would have been a, technically from a Muslim background but now wanting to go and serve God and like can you get life any better than that you know amazing uh, well worth telling us that. Yeah, just well had to tell you that, that one. Absolutely. <laughs> right, as we bring things to a close then, let's chat a little bit about how we as Glen Abbey, as, as, as people involved in this church, if, if we're not already involved, and I know a lot of people already are, so we need to acknowledge that, um, ways that, ways that we can help and support. Uh, so uh, maybe chat me through a couple of those. Well, Michael, do you want to go first? Well, <laughs> as you've heard Michael communicating, uh-huh. And Michael does that all around the country in PWs, all sorts of different church services, and people want to respond when they hear the need presented. And one of the ways that we've helped them to respond is by getting a trailer. Anybody who is regular at Glen Abbey will be familiar with the trailer parked in the car park. But we now take those to churches. Michael offers when he goes that the trailer can come for, say, a week. So after Michael has been and presented the need and what's what's being done, we give folk an opportunity to respond by bringing stuff, by bringing clothes. Uh, great if they want to contribute financially, but uh, that's not as easy an ask, and so it's much easier to give them something they can do practically right away, and that has been really popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not true that Michael picks churches that are far away, so I have to go far away <laughs> and stay on the road. He loves driving there with him, come on. <laughs> Although they have all been quite far west of the band, the ones I've been sent to. But, uh, Bally Kelly. <laughs> but the response has been great, uh-huh. and we've got great stock down in the shops, yeah. and that helps to stock the shops. It increases the need for folks to come in and, and help with sorting, although... Folks certainly here at Glen Abbey have been very good with that, but there's there, there's room for anyone to do that. The crack's good. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Uh, fellowship's good. It is. Uh, and, and ultimately we're doing something that is making a real difference to lives. Yeah. I th- just on that as well, William, it's true to say that we're trying to get the trailer, you know, in. It's brilliant to bring them up to churches, but we've also brought them into schools. And, you know, we would love to do that more. So if anybody's listening involved in school and think, you know, just to bring it into that school community for teachers, for pupils, whatever, I'm more than happy to come in, do assembly or whatever, anything like that, with all resources and stuff for Key Stage 2 as well. But any church or any school at all, and also in businesses, Business you know, because businesses, yeah. we, we, we sort of feel as if we're making inroads with churches to a reasonable extent, but we're not really making the inroads with businesses. So we were just talking actually earlier this week about the real desire to transfer spread the word because it's not costing anybody anything it's literally yeah. just getting them to get rid of all the guff they've got of their wardrobes that they don't need anyway mm-hmm. you know far too much stuff so so if anybody from the commercial world absolutely is yeah, absolutely no, and we'll be dead I mean, William's dead flexible he just comes and leaves it wherever whenever you know he's charms the charm of so we've got we've got donation we've got even building links there if, if uh, people have those links with schools or businesses or that yes, sort of idea as well um, you've mentioned and then volunteering in terms mm-hmm. of going into yeah. the, 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 the shop. Well, I suppose with the missions team hat on, one of the things we like to do is to inform people and inspire people. Hope365 are one of the partners of Glen Abbey Missions. So 
now that you've heard about it, if you've been listening to this, you're informed. Hopefully you're inspired. The next thing to do is to respond. <laughs> and the best way to respond is to pick up the phone to the shop or just turn up at the shop and yeah. we'll find something for you to do. Yeah. And I think with even, you know, with the potential of this new shop, we're hoping in April in Larne, um, you know, we do we actually genuinely need volunteer based there. We'll have a manager looking after that shop, but we need, you know, six, eight volunteers to go down and help in the shop and right. help sort clothes and do all of those sorts of things. So I'm not sure, again, how many folk are based in Larne with Dun Abbey. I know there's a massive number in Ballyclare and Abbey, but, you know, for anybody out there, it would be fantastic Absolutely. just to give us a hand with that side of okay. things. Okay, so donation, volunteering, anything else? Well, the only mention? thing is the financial giving is always brilliant and you can do that online. You know, if you go onto uh, hope365.life, the website, um, we have a shareholder scheme, which is a brilliant thing for us. It's so helpful. You, know, you can pay uh, from like £5 a month upwards and then we send out updates regularly through the year we videos and stuff through to your device so you can see how Deviso is getting on you can see the kids eating their lunches and you can see all the developments it keeps people really connected with what's happening out there that's a real massive help to us honestly I can't can't overstate how big a deal this, the shareholders are to us you know so it's another and then finally I'm sure you'd want us to pray for you Absolutely. how can we pray specifically for Hope yeah I think you know the big one uh, for me is just the, the the whole challenge that we are facing with inflation that we're able to develop in the direction that we want to develop despite inflation you know yeah. and we don't want to be deviating away from the path that we're going on and as, as I mentioned to you earlier on for me you know the children in our group homes are getting brilliant spiritual education and are really good strong Christians and that's great the kids who come into our transition centre all hear the gospel that's good now it's the school so pray that this new partnership with these folk uh, these pastors um, in Shashamani that we met last week will come to fruition really quickly and that we'll see kids like you know coming to faith at a great rate and that you'll give real wisdom to, to the, the teachers and so on that are going to be leading them because there will be a bit of a backlash obviously because there's so many Muslim kids coming um, but there many of the families are very nominal so there's great opportunities to reach out there so just pray that God has a massive harvest amongst the, the kids in the school. Absolutely. Diana and that to that? Or? Um, just for wisdom for us here at uh-huh. home you know just that we would follow God's guidance yeah. that um, he would enable us to grow. The need is so great, you know, that um, we can see lots of paths and lots of options and just that God would give us the resources and the strength and the wisdom to be able to pursue it, you know, because it is, as I keep saying, it's a real privilege to be involved and and we want to to do, you know, as much as we possibly can. So um, prayer is absolutely essential and we really appreciate all the support um, that we do receive from Glen Abbey. It is fantastic, yeah, you know, and we're so, so grateful for it. So um, it's just, if if people could continue supporting us in prayer, we'd really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I've learned a lot this afternoon. <laughs> I enjoyed, enjoyed that conversation a lot too. Um, so can I just say uh, thank you to the three thank of you, you Michael, Diane. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for, for your time, for, for coming along and, and telling us that and, and giving us all of that, both information and inspiration, as you say. Um, and, now, and now it's up to people to, to think about how they can respond in, in different ways. So thank you so much for your time this thank afternoon. You. And Thanks. until next time. <laughs>